0: Amen. Thank you, Miss Judy. Please take out your copy of God's Word today and open with me to Galatians chapter 5. Today I want us to look at Galatians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18 as we make our way across the book of Galatians. You may remember last week we we entered into this third section of Galatians. The Galatians is divided into three major sections where Paul is defending his own ministry, where he's defending the gospel. And now in the third section, he's showing us how to apply the gospel, how the gospel should change our lives, how we should think and live in light of the spiritual freedom that we have. And last week, we talked about loving and serving one another. But today, I want to talk to you about the basis for how we can love and serve and obey and fellowship and do everything that God has called us to do. The basis for that is the power for godly living through the Holy Spirit. And that's the message that I want you to understand today. So as we look at these verses, I want to invite you to stand with me as we honor this reading, if you are able. And I will begin reading here in chapter 5, verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit." And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The Word of God. You may be seated. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Francis Schaeffer was a pastor, theologian, philosopher, apologist back about 30 years ago. And he was one of the most influential figures in the 20th century. He wrote all kinds of books and and spoke in many places. He had his own apologetics institute overseas and he really was an influential person back many years ago. But there was a book he wrote called No Little People back in the 1970s. And this is what he had to say about the spiritual life. He said the central problem of our age is not liberalism or modernism nor the old Roman Catholicism or the new Roman Catholicism nor the threat of communism nor even the threat of rationalism or what we might call postmodernism, or the monolithic consensus which surrounds us. All of these are dangerous to the church but not the primary threat. He said the real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ individually and corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than in the spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances surrounding them. He wrote that in the mid 70s. As you fast forward to 2015, We live in a day which seems like the church in America is sputtering on fumes, where many believers are falling by the wayside, where spiritual growth is not occurring as fast as it should. This is a day when it seems like preachers are no longer uh, helping others to learn the truth. People are not absorbing what God's word says. Evangelism seems to be powerless in many ways. Local ministries and churches are disappearing left and right. A recent Pew survey found that the number of Americans who identify as Christians has reached an all-time low and is falling fast. That is the reality that we live in. And when we think about those things and what we see in the news and, and see in our culture, even see among our own selves, sometimes we ask, what is happening to Christianity? What is happening to the church? What's happening to believers out in the world, especially in the nation that we live in? Why aren't more people coming to Christ? Why does it seem that believers are so prone to sin and they're living in the flesh and they're not really living according to the spirit of God? You may wonder why you're not growing in your faith and why temptation seems to be so powerful in your life, not just in your life, but in many other believers around you. Why is it so easy for us to to embrace what the world is selling and to resist what God's will is leading us to. And sometimes you wonder why you're so prone to sin in your life and you don't seem to have any energy or power to do what God is calling you to do. Have you ever had questions like that when you look around and you see the church, you see your own life, you see other believers? I think all of us do. And you wonder, well, what is the problem? Is the problem the devil? Is the devil working overtime these days to distract us and to try to lead us in the wrong direction? Is the problem the sinful effects of the world? Is it the world around us that's becoming more and increasing in sinfulness and it's causing the church to really stray off in the wrong directions? Is it, there, is it uh, the false religions and the cults, are they making an impact upon us? Is that what it is? Is it unchristian or uh, organizations that are against Christianity, the ACLU or others, are they really having an impact in our culture to where the church is, is getting weak and appears to be dying? You know, is it, is it the problem, is it with the liberal media or secular universities? Are they really having their way with us to where Christianity is no longer relevant in the culture's eyes? What seems to be the problem with Christianity. What is the problem with their lives as believers? What's the problem with the church? You know, while all of those examples that I mentioned could definitely hinder the church and the faith in many ways as they're against it, I have to agree with what Francis Schaeffer said over 40 years ago. He said the church's problem, the real problem, is the church itself trying to do everything that God has called us to do in the power of our own flesh And not turning to the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just in our own individual lives, although it's a problem, but as a church as a whole. We're not turning to the work of the Holy Spirit to get us through and to do what God has called us to do. We're trying to do everything according to our own power and strength. And that's why the church seems to be failing so much. You see, our problem is that we're not being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not yielding to His leadership. We're not obeying his calling. We're not listening to his conviction. We're not sensing the direction that he wants us to go in and relying upon his power to get there. If the church of Jesus Christ was completely filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit was working among us and we were not relying upon our flesh, but we were zeroed in on what he was doing in our lives, the church would be growing like we've never seen before. That is what scripture teaches us. This is what Jesus told us. He said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that upon the gospel, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What Jesus was saying is that there's no time in the world's history that the church will ever be completely shut down. It will never end. No one will ever have enough power, no matter how sinful culture gets to where my church will ever stop being my church. It will be victorious in the end. That's the promise Jesus made. Some of you are saying, well, it doesn't seem like it's really that victorious this day and time. What was Jesus talking about? We forget what Jesus said later, just before he ascended to heaven. He gathered all the disciples around who would later become his apostles. And just before Jesus ascended, it says in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 and in verse 8, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said... You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So basically what Jesus taught us about spiritual life and growth in the church is that there's not going to be anything that will ever be able to destroy the church But you're not going to be able to do this without the full power of the Holy Spirit with you. You know, we're very foolish today to think that somehow the church is going to be defeated by the world. But we're even more foolish today if we think the church is going to live and grow without the full power of the Holy Spirit. We can't just take a passive attitude and say, well, that God is going to do this. He's going to accomplish this. We can just sit back and enjoy the ride. God has called us to embrace him through the Holy Spirit, to be empowered to do the work that he's called us to do. That's how we're going to live faithfully and righteously in his eyes. And his church will grow throughout all generations until the Lord returns. You see, and this was the message that the Apostle Paul wanted us, as well as the Galatians, to understand, is that we must walk in the Holy Spirit if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to do. As we mentioned in the beginning, this final third section of Galatians deals with the application of the gospel, how we should live and act and behave and make decisions and think and all those other things in 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 light of what Christ has done for us and what he's called us to do. And the basis for such living is found in verses 16 through 25. Now, we're not going to cover all of these verses today, but the basis for such living is found here in this section because Paul describes the importance of living by the Holy Spirit. If you notice in verse 16, he tells us to walk by the Spirit. And then if you look down in verse 25, he concludes by saying, let us also walk by the Spirit or live by the Spirit. And everything in between shows us the realities of what the Spirit should do in our lives and what life looks like without the Spirit's work in our lives. But Paul's main emphasis is that we walk and live by the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that we will have victory in this life when it comes to obeying Christ and living for him and glorifying him. Todd Wilson, commenting on these verses, he said that Paul's goal was to convince the Galatians of the Spirit's inexhaustible power and thus inspire them to rely wholly upon the Spirit in the nitty-gritty of their daily lives. You know, what's your life like when you're in the nitty-gritty? when things are hard, when God is calling you one direction but you want to go a different direction, when things around you start happening and, you're not, and you don't understand why you're going through such difficulty, what is there to guide you and to lead you into where God wants you to be? If you're relying upon your flesh, you're always going to fail. You're always going to be weak. You must rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit. So the question I have for you today is are you walking in God's Spirit? Does the Spirit have full control in your life and empowering you and leading you in the direction of God's will? Is our church under the full control and direction of the Holy Spirit? Are we utilizing this power that God has given us that we could never have any other way, the only way that we could ever be successful in his eyes? Are we being governed and led and directed by the Holy Spirit? That's the question that we have to answer today. But as we're going to see, walking in the Spirit is absolutely critical for our lives and as, as life in our church. And there are several elements about walking in the Spirit that I want you to see here, here today, just in verses 16 through 18. That's where I want us to spend our time this morning, several elements about walking in the Spirit. Well, first I want you to notice the power of walking in the Spirit, the power of walking in the Spirit. You know, Paul begins here by showing us that without the Holy Spirit's power in our lives, we will never go in the direction or be able to get to where God wants us to be. We must have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There's no substitute for his presence among us. And that's what Paul wants us to understand if we want to live faithfully unto Christ. Notice in verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh notice that paul begins with the word but which indicates that he's making a contrast to something that he previously said now what did paul previously tell us about this well if you look back in verse 13 paul warned us do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh and he gave us those sad examples about a church that is bitter and ugly and hateful toward one another where he says that they they bite and devour one another We talked about that last week, and some of you may say, well, that just seems to happen a lot in churches. How do we get past that? How do we become the loving and and warm congregation that God has called us to be? Well, this is where Paul picks up in verse 16. He says, if you really want to overcome those fleshly tendencies, then you need to learn to walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify those desires of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit is the answer to the, the fleshly problem that we still have in our lives. See, the verb walk here is one of Paul's favorites to describe the Christian life. In fact, there's over 30 times throughout his letters that he uses the, the verb walk to describe our emotion through this life as we follow God's will. And in this particular instance, this verb walk is in the present tense imperative. And what that means is that it describes a continual action is that Paul is saying this needs to become a a habitual way of life for you, a regular everyday thing. You need to always walk in the Spirit. And notice that it's imperative, meaning that this is not just a suggestion or or a good piece of advice, but Paul is saying this is a command from God. There's no exceptions. You must walk in the Spirit and do it on a regular everyday basis. That's what God is calling us to do. Now, the the verb walk here also indicates progress. He's talking about going from one place to another, like when you would walk down the street to go to a store and then walk back to your house. The idea is that there is a goal in mind or a place that you need to be that you're not currently at in life. He's talking about in the spiritual sense. God wants you to go from being a person who is just new in Christ, who's just been born again, to a person that takes on the very image of the Lord Jesus in everything you do. He wants you to walk in that direction, to grow, to expand your spiritual life. That's what spiritual growth and sanctification is all about. And it means that if you're under the Spirit's control, you will be guided and empowered to get there. You know, a lot of us, when we try to go somewhere, we walk under our own power, it can get hard and difficult, especially when it comes to the spiritual things in life. Paul is saying, if you really want to accomplish this, you have to have the Spirit of God in you. You can't do it on your own. You need the Spirit of God in you and working and walking in Him. So exactly how does the Holy Spirit empower us? What does He do in our lives? Well, there's a lot of teaching throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament, on the Holy Spirit. It's what we call pneumatology. And as you study the role of the Holy Spirit, there's really two basic categories of His work in our lives. And there's a lot of things that fit in these categories, but there's two basic categories. One is simply His work in regeneration, when we come to know Christ, when we're saved. You know, the Bible teaches that when we become followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to our sinful condition, He opens our hearts and minds to the truth of the gospel. And he persuades us to place our faith in Jesus and to follow him. That's the only way a person can be saved is when the Holy Spirit is working upon their heart and and encouraging them and pushing them toward Christ and showing them the need they have for Jesus. Otherwise, everybody would be getting saved all the time if it was just up to us and we we could just decide any time. But in our sinful condition, we must have the Holy Spirit showing us the truth about who we are, who Christ is, and why we need him. And then after we're saved, the Spirit gives us a new spiritual life. He, he, when we're born again in Him, He gives us new desires, new ambitions. He gives us a distaste for sin. He makes us new creations in Christ. That's why Jesus said if you're, if you're not born again, you'll never be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Holy Spirit is the power, the one who works as God in, in a spiritual form to do this in our lives, all according to His grace. So if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you don't have salvation. You must be born again in the Spirit. Well, that's only one thing that he does, is just regeneration. But the other role the Spirit plays is in what we call our sanctification or our spiritual growth. After you come to know Christ and you are in him, then the journey begins. You are to live the rest of your days on earth in a continual pattern of spiritual growth to where when you get to heaven, whichever, if it's one year or 100 years after you've been saved, you should be much more mature in your walk with the Lord. You should be much more spiritual and and more obedient and more worshipful and more careful to live for Christ. And it should be a progression upward all through your life. And the Spirit plays a major role in this. I mean, if you read through the pages of the New Testament, you'll know that the Spirit is the one who continues to impart spiritual truth in our lives through the Word of God. As we read the Bible, which the Spirit wrote and inspired, we continue to be fed with the truth that he proclaimed when it was written, and he applies that to our lives. We know that the Spirit also guides us toward truth and away, and away from what is false through discernment. He gives us a heads up when things aren't right. He lets us know when we're going in the wrong direction. The Spirit also walks alongside us and encourages our hearts, and he, he brings us comfort. You know, this is why Jesus called the Spirit the paraclete, the one who walks alongside through this journey of life. He's there to encourage us and to comfort us and to give us peace when things are are going wrong. He helps us in our weaknesses. He leads us in the direction of God's will. He convicts us of sin and evil. When you get into something that is not according to God's will, the Spirit will convict you and let you know very fast that you are in something that you don't need to be in. He will remind you of when you're out of God's will. The Spirit gifts us with various abilities to serve, our spiritual gifts, as you can read through First Corinthians and other places, tell us that, you know, really God has gifted us through the Holy Spirit to serve Him. He's empowered us in those ways. He gives us power to understand and obey God's word and to live in righteousness. The Holy Spirit is the fuel in our lives for, for giving us the ability to do what is right according to God. That's what he does. The Spirit even prays to the Father on our behalf, as it says in Romans eight twenty six, with groanings too deep for words. In those moments in your life when you say, God, I just don't know what to say. Life is so out of control. Things are so, so out of whack. I just don't know what to do. It says that the Spirit actually prays on your behalf to the Father, interceding for you. Now, the picture that I'm trying to paint for you here about the Holy Spirit is this. If you are walking by the Spirit, And he is doing all of these things in your life. You will not have to worry about gratifying or fulfilling those evil desires of the flesh. The flesh will be weak to you if the spirit is that strong in your life. If he's doing all of those things. You know, the flesh is the sinful and worldly ways of our heart. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. But the flesh is what creeps into our life and causes us to want to do things that are against the will of God. But if you're walking in the spirit... The flesh will not have hardly any power over you when it comes to living for God. You know, I remember uh, Emily telling me just a few weeks ago, and I think she's in the nursery today so I can tell you this story. Don't tell her, by the way. But when she was working at a summer camp a few years ago up in the mountains of North Carolina, I think the camp where our students are going this summer, she said that a bunch of them decided one day that they were going to go out and ride bicycles through the mountains. They wanted to get out and just exercise and see the pretty scenery. So they all got on their, their bikes, and they were ready to go on the road, and they all took off up this hill. And Emily was in very good shape. I mean, she was, ran track in high school, was very athletic. She was in great shape. And she said that they all took off, and she noticed that everyone just left her and went way up this hill, and she was struggling, pedaling as hard as she could, but she just couldn't catch up with them, and they, they completely left her. And after struggling through these hills and these mountains on this bicycle, she got back and everybody had been back for a while. And she says, I don't know what happened. I just couldn't pedal this bicycle. And what happened was she forgot that there were gears on the bike that she needed to change. That if you change gears, it makes it a whole lot easier to pedal and, and you're able to have much more power in your life and you on your bicycle ride if you're able to change gears and then you can keep up with everybody else. And you know, that, what that reminds me of is there's so many times in life we are not tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not enabling that Spirit to come in our lives to give us that power that's needed to make it through what God has called us. We're trying to pedal through life by our own power without realizing there's a greater power out there that we can have. And that's why we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He's the power to make it through and to do what God has called us to do. So that's the power for walking in the Spirit. Now, the question that we have to ask, though, is why do we really need this power? I mean, can't we try hard enough and do enough and try to obey enough to really get where we need to be in life? Why is it so crucial that we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, I want you to see the second element here, the purpose for walking in the Spirit, the purpose of walking in the Spirit. Look what Paul says in verse 17. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, he tells us here, this is the reason for why you need to walk in the spirit. In fact, the word for that begins the sentence provides the basis for what Paul said in verse 16, And it tells us why it's so important. And what Paul is doing, he's telling us one of the fundamental realities that we experience as believers. And it's this, that we are in the midst of this battle, this conflict, between the Holy Spirit that has filled our hearts through Christ and the old flesh that is still lingering around. There is a major battle or conflict between the two. And you will experience this throughout the rest of your life until you get into glory. Now, he says here that the battle is between the spirit and the flesh. And when he talks about the flesh here, he's not talking about our our physical skin or our our flesh on our bodies. But in the Bible, it's a reference to what is spiritual in our lives. In fact, it's the old sinful nature that we had in full control of our lives before we came to Christ. It's an old selfish nature that's the part of you that wants to rebel against what God says to do and it resists what the Spirit is saying and leading it and it wants to do our own thing and do what the world is doing. And all of us as believers have this old flesh still in our lives. We will never rid this flesh until we enter into the gates of heaven. It's a part of who we are. Now, one thing that we can understand is that while the flesh no longer controls us, we are under the control of, of God through the Holy Spirit, he still has the means for hindering us, for getting in the way of what God wants us to do. And that's why we fall into sin so many times. Our flesh starts desiring things that are not of God and we start listening to his presence and, and we start hearing his voice and the next thing you know, we, we've kind of walked away from God and we're in this, in this sinful state and we do things that are wrong and, and then the Holy Spirit convicts us and lets us know that we're wrong that we've made a mistake, but that's a battle. And you, you probably have experienced this battle before in your life. You know that you're, you're thinking about doing something and you remember what God said to do and how it was wrong, but then you have this urge to do what is wrong and, and not of God's will. And this flesh and the spirit is doing this battle. And many times we take the side of the flesh. We've all been there. Even the apostle Paul, who is the greatest missionary that has ever lived, especially in the first century, He said this about his own life in Romans chapter 7. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul is saying that I'm in the midst of this battle every single day. I have what is good in my life, what is holy, what is honorable telling me to go one way. I have this flesh is telling me to do what is sinful. And as much as I want to do what is right, the power of the flesh can overwhelm me at times and I end up doing what is wrong. And I just have this battle in my life every single day. How many of you have experienced that? How many of you are in that battle right now? You know that there's something right to do, but you are still desiring to do what is wrong in God's eyes. That's the battle that we're in every day. And I want to tell you that the flesh, if it's all left up to us, it will completely overpower us. That's why we need the Spirit. We need the Spirit to give us the power to overcome that flesh, which he promises to do. Some of you may wonder, well, how do we increase this power of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can resist the flesh? What is the key to getting the Spirit's power to help us through this life? Well, there's an old story that I've read before, and I I can't name the source or where it came from, but I've heard this and read this before. But there's a tale about an elderly Cherokee Indian who was speaking with his grandson one day, and he said that there's actually a battle that goes on in the inside of humans. And he said it's like two wolves are fighting inside of you. He said that that the battle is between these two wolves and it's in all of us. One wolf is evil. And he is filling our hearts with anger and jealousy and sorrow and regret and greed and arrogance and self-pity and guilt, resentment, lies, falsehoods, inferiority, ego, and all these other evil things. There's one wolf that's in you that's doing all of that. And then he said, there's another wolf that's inside of you, and it's filled with joy and peace and goodness and love and kindness and empathy and generosity and compassion and faith, and and he's also inside of you doing battle with the other wolf. The grandson said, "Well, well, which wolf actually wins? And the grandfather wisely said, the one that you feed the most. The one that you feed the most. You know, when it comes to our spiritual lives, That's exactly the truth that we see in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is so powerful in our lives. And he is there and he can always overcome the flesh. They're not equals against each other. He is always more powerful and more present in our lives. But if you continue to feed the flesh... If you continue to look at things that are unwholesome, things that are sinful, maybe it be through the internet, through television, listen to it through music or see it in magazines, or or you're around unwholesome people, people who are leading you against the will of God. Maybe you're in places where you're tempted to sin and you fill your minds with things that are not of God. It could be that you're involved in activities in your life right now that are completely against the will of God. There's things that God has said not to do and you find yourself around those things, doing those things. When you feed that inner wolf or that inner sinful nature, what we call the flesh, there will be seasons in your life where it will dominate you. And you will be way outside of the will of God. And you will have to experience all the consequences that comes with doing what God told you not to do. And I can promise you, as a holy and just God, even though you're under His grace, He will not spare you from any of those consequences because He uses those things as a way to discipline us to get us back in His will. But if you feed the the spirit that's inside of you, if you give him dominance in your life, if you fill your minds and hearts with what is godly, what is good, what is righteous, if you practice the what we call the practical means of grace, which is to worship and to study the scriptures, to fellowship with other believers, to be involved in the church, and, you, and you're filling your mind and heart with the things of the spirit, the spirit is gonna be very powerful in your life, and you won't ever have to worry about the flesh bothering you in those ways. But I can tell you, whichever one you feed the most is the one that's going to dominate your life. You need to make sure that in the battle that you're in between the flesh and the spirit, that you are walking in the spirit by being filled with the things of the spirit, not the things of the flesh. That's where we need to be as believers. You know, after the end of what Paul said about this battle inside of him... In verse seven and chapter, uh, chapter uh, I mean sorry, in, in Romans chapter seven, verses 24 and 25, Paul said, "Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord." Later in Romans 13, he says, "But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires." So essentially what we are learning here, is that when you surround yourself with the things of Christ, the flesh will be severely weakened in your life. And that's why you need to walk according to the Spirit. So you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But there's one final element that I want you to see here, and it's the promise of walking in the Spirit. The promise of walking in the Spirit. Look with me in verse 18. Paul says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, he's making one more contrast here. He says, but if you are led by this Spirit, you are not going to be under the law. So he's trying to teach us one more thing that we need to remember. Now, throughout the Bible, especially in Galatians, being under the law is not a good thing. In fact, it means that a person is still under the full power and control of sin in their life. They're under the laws of sin and death. They're still in spiritual bondage. They're rebellious against God, hostile in mind, all the other descriptions. Basically, it means that they're not born-again followers of Christ. They're under this law. They're under the domination of sin to where there's nothing else they want to do other than to disobey God. These are people who are completely dominated by their sinful flesh. But look what he's saying. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under this law. And what he's telling us here is that if you are led by the Spirit then you are not fitting in the category of someone who is completely dominated by the flesh without any hope. You have a lot of hope in your life when you face this evil because you are being led by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the word led here carries the idea of being continually influenced and directed by the Holy Spirit. It's very much like walking in the Spirit as a person is filled and led as followers of Christ. It's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you want to know if you're a believer, if you're going to heaven, if you are a real follower of Christ, ask yourself, does the Holy Spirit reside in me? Have I been freed from this law of sin and death that I'm in? And if the spirit is in you and you've been born again, and you see the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you can be sure that you are no longer under that law. But even in the daily battle and conflict that we're in with the flesh, sometimes we as believers, even as being led by the Holy Spirit, we can fall into sin, we can disobey God, we can feel like God is a million miles away, and somehow the devil tells us that God is going to give up on us, that he doesn't want us around anymore, that we failed too many times. I mean, you've experienced that probably. I know I have. And you get all this in your mind about how God has just forgotten you. He doesn't want you around. You're no good. You can't help the church. And the devil really beats you up as you listen to what the flesh is saying and all of those things. But what Paul is trying to remind us of here is that even though we're in the midst of the battle and we lose some of those battles to the flesh, we always have the promise of knowing that God is with us through the Holy Spirit. We've been set free from the laws of sin and death. We are new in Christ. There's nothing that we could ever do that would separate us from the love of God according to what Paul tells us later. He's saying that you are secure in Christ and you always have the ability to come back to him when you've fallen away into sin. You always have the ability to return to your father like the prodigal. And that's a truth that we have to remember. God is always working through us and bringing us back to himself. We have the ability to repent and be restored this is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us today as believers? It says that right now, if you are living in a way that is more toward the flesh than the Spirit, and you are in Christ, that all you have to do is cry out to God to confess your sins to turn away from that fleshly life that you're in and allow God to restore you through the work of his Holy Spirit. Call upon God today. Say, God, I just don't understand how I got in this shape. I know my flesh is powerful. I know I've given in to him, but I want you to restore me. I want you to bring me back. And God, through his grace, will always do that if you are truly in him, if you will sincerely confess and repent of your sins. Turn away. And ask God to restore you. He will bring you back no matter how far you think you have gone away. And that's the promise of the Holy Spirit. But one final thought I want you to see is the small little word if, verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit. That word is the complete difference for all of eternity. Because if you're led by the Spirit, that means that you are in Christ and you have access to this power and God's grace and all these things. But if you're not being led by the Spirit, it means that you're not in Christ, that that you're still bound to the laws of sin and death. You're still under the law. You have no power to do what God is calling you to do. No matter how long you try, how hard you work, how many times you come to church, you don't have the inner power to be in God's will. You need to simply come to Christ and be saved. You need to understand that you are outside of God's kingdom, that you don't have the ability to save yourself. There's nothing good about you to where God is going to let you into heaven. No matter how many good works you may have done in your life, there's always enough bad things to keep you out. But you say, God, please, I know that Jesus Christ died for me. I know that his sacrifice was final and complete on my behalf. I know that that there's no other way I could have eternal life without putting my faith in him. I want to turn away from my sins today and to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow him as Lord and Savior. And if God is opening your heart to make that decision today, that will be the only way that you will ever have eternal life, that you will ever be filled with the Spirit, that you will ever find freedom in this life and peace and joy and happiness. That's the only way that you will ever truly find life. And it only comes by walking in the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your